Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com. Anyway, today we're starting something amazing uh, called our Faith Foundation Series. So I'm excited about it. And the reason for this, this uh, series is... Really, we want to, I want to look at how the Old Testament stories are instructional and how they actually build us and encourage us, you know? So we're going to talk about that. There are reasons why we are here. There are reasons why we can be what we are. It's because there's been a foundation laid for us. So let me just, let me just show you something. This is one of my favorite verses. I quote it all the time. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days, say former days, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is so important. Paul is speaking about the Old Testament. He's speaking about the books of the law. He's speaking about the prophetic writings. He's speaking about the Old Testament. What we know is the Old Testament, okay? Are you following me? Yeah, but there's a thing in the church now. There's this thing that's like we don't need the Ten Commandments. We don't need to read the Old Testament. We don't need that stuff. We're in the New Covenant. How arrogant. You wouldn't be here without them. All right, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and we must, lest we forget the forerunners, lest we forget those who laid a foundation for us. Amen? There's reasons for this stuff. Whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. Now, this, this is kind of what goes with the word there. Thanks, Holy Ghost. Instruction, I heard a preacher say once that that's structure within. It's to put structure inside of you. It's to build you up on the inside. Say structure within. So when God is trying to instruct you, he's trying to put strength inside of you to weather whatever comes. To, to shore you up from the inside out. Amen? So if we don't visit the stories of the Old Testament, if we ignore them, we're losing our structure within. That's a problem. <laughs> I'd call that a problem. Anybody else think that's a problem? Yeah. And so I love it. It keeps on. It says that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. All right. That's, that's a good word. I'm, I've got it in another translation for you. Romans 15.4 in the Passion Translation says whatever was written, I'm, I think I have it for you, was whatever was written beforehand is meant to instruct us. Did I give it to you, Matthew? I'm sorry. All right. Just listen to this. Sorry, I'm a little sleep deprived and I missed a scripture. Here we go. Whatever was written beforehand is meant to instruct us in how to live. That's what the Passion Translation says. It instructs us on how to live. You want to live better? Yeah. That's the, the Old Testament is for that. Like, have you ever thought of the Old Testament in this way? Like, most, most don't think of it this way. It's meant to instruct us in how to live. The scriptures impart to us encouragement and inspiration. Come on, you want an impartation from a preacher or somebody to lay hands on you? you just, just lay hands on this. Just. Or, you know, I'm being imparted like this. this thing, here you go. Let that just impart to you, right? No, you should actually read it. That doesn't work. You should, you should read it. Maybe if God tells you to do it, hallelujah, whatever. You know, that would be really great. I'm downloading the whole Old Testament right now. That would be great, you know. <laughs> the scriptures impart to us encouragement and inspiration so that we can live in hope and endure all things. Wow. Maybe you're not enduring things very well because you've ignored the things written beforehand. Maybe. Just maybe. 
I can tell you the Western church is ignoring the things written beforehand and isn't enduring much. (laughs) I'm not being, I'm not condemning anyone. I'm observant. (laughs) I'm just observing. But it's not, that observation is not without a solution. Okay? A critic observes and criticizes without giving giving solutions. But someone who cares is going to observe and help. (laughs) Okay? I care. I care about all y'all. I care about the church. I want us to be built up to grow into spiritual maturity. Amen? I want that. So let me just say this. If reading the Old Testament doesn't give you hope, you're reading it with the wrong perspective. If reading the Old Testament of your Bible doesn't give you hope, you're reading it with the wrong perspective. Put up the 15.4 again with the ESV. It says, so that we, the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So in reading these stories, like we're going to talk about Noah and the ark today. And we're going to, we're going to throughout the month, we're going to talk about different really popular stories. If they don't give you hope in your heart, you didn't read it right. You need to go back and read it again with a different lens. All right? Come on, there's many who say the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they're very different. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God. You're reading it wrong. You're reading it wrong. You're reading it with some perspective that is not godly. I'd love to break it to you. (laughs) If it doesn't inspire hope, you're reading it wrong. According to this, not my idea, not my idea. All right, let me just, I gotta, I'm going to set this up quickly, and then we'll talk through Noah. My second son, I can't help but mention this because it's in my head. He, he's repeating us all the time now, and he says no a lot because we tell him no a lot, you know. But these last couple of weeks, he's, for some reason, all of a sudden, I call, I'm calling it a word of knowledge. I'm calling it a word of knowledge, whatever. He started going, Noah. Noah, whenever we would say no, he'd go, Noah, and he'd walk away, Noah, I'm like, I'm preaching on Noah in like a week and a half, is this kid picking up something? Anyway, I'm just saying, I thought that was cute, and it was up here, so it usually comes out here if it's up here, you know, so it gets me in trouble. Anyway, I just want to prove it to you a little bit more that the, the reality of a need, the need for a foundation, okay? If we took the foundation of this building and took it away, none of this would work. All right, we need the foundations of our faith. We need these instructional things in order to be built up. Are you with me? And the scriptures actually say that Christ is our foundation. Christ is the foundation. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 8 through 11. I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church about how this whole thing works, how the new covenant is carried on, how apostles and prophets, how people in the new covenant are supposed to carry the baton, if you will. You know, he says, now the one who plants and the one whose waters are equally important and on the same team, but each will be rewarded for his own work. Isn't that nice to know? We're all on the same team. We're all in one body, but you're going to be rewarded for your work. There's an individual and corporate reward. Are you with me? Yes. We are co-workers with God and you are God's cultivated garden. That's the church, the house he is building. God has given me, this is the Apostle Paul, unique gifts as a skilled master builder who lays a good foundation. Afterward, another craftsman comes and builds on it. So builders beware. Let every builder do his work carefully according to God's standards. For no one is empowered, listen, to lay an alternative foundation other than the good foundation that exists, which is Jesus Christ. Now you need to catch this. No one is empowered to lay an alternative foundation other than the good foundation that exists. That means, did you catch it, that he's laying a foundation, but there's already a foundation? 
Are you following me? Paul said, I'm like a master builder, building on the house, laying foundations. And no one's empowered to lay a foundation other than the one that exists. He's laying a foundation that already exists. He's revealing a foundational truth. He's just showing you what is there. Are you following me? This is how we build in the new covenant. We don't forget what was. We reveal what was in the light of Christ. We put the lens of the cross on and we see what was correctly. Are you following me? I know. It's first, it's first gathering. You guys are a little sleepy maybe. I don't know. I'm trying to give it to you slow here. No one is empowered to lay an alternative foundation other than the good foundation that exists, which is Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus Christ is the foundation. Amen? Amen. Again, in Ephesians 2.20, uh, he talks about the same subject, same guy, Paul. He says, you to the church are rising like perfectly fitted stones of the temple, and your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. Now, stick with me. They're not laying a new foundation. They're, re they're revealing the foundation of Christ. Are you with me? For these, listen, all scripture is God-breathed, right? That means it must coalesce. In order for both of them to make sense, this is the result. You can't have one scripture mean one thing and another scripture mean another thing and be right. And, like, have them disagree. You can't have two interpretations that disagree with one another. One of your interpretations is wrong. Are you with me? So for these to fit together, that means he's revealing the foundation of Christ. A foundation laid by the apostles and prophets is not a new foundation it's the foundation of Christ. That was already laid in the times before. Are you following me? This is like, I know, this teacher's teacher, early teacher stuff. Here we are. All right. We got to get this. We got to value the scriptures, man. You know when, here, let me just burst your bubble real quick. When Paul says all scripture is God breathed, I believe the New Testament is scripture. Let me just say that. New Testament is scripture. Did you hear what I just said? It is scripture. But when Paul wrote that, he was referring to the Old Testament. Not even the whole New Testament was written when he said that. All scripture is God-breathed, past tense, and useful for teaching, rebuke, all that. He's talking about the Old Covenant. <laughs> you need the Old Testament. Come on, somebody. Let's just, this is so important. Laid by the foundation, or the apostles and prophets, best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. So good. So he ties it all in. Now listen, the purpose of this series is to reveal the foundation of Christ through the Old Testament stories. Are you with me? I want to reveal the foundation of Christ through the Old Testament stories. I want to flip the script on the Old Testament. I want you to look at it with a new lens. How about that? Is that okay? Because whatever is written in former days is written for our instruction and to encourage, build us up so that we might have hope. Romans 15.4. Are you with me? Okay. Good. That's just my intro. Let's see how much time I have. Sorry. New, new things. Wait. I know what time I have to end. Yes, I do. Okay. All right. How many of you heard, have heard the story of Noah and the ark? Yeah? How many of you, don't be ashamed, have not heard of that story, Noah and the ark? Anybody? Okay. No one raised their hand just now. So everyone has heard that story. All right? And there's a lot of opinions about who God is according to that story. And I'm not going to spend the time to read the whole thing because it's actually Genesis chapter 6 through Genesis chapter 9. But I want you to go home and read Genesis 6 through Genesis 9 in whatever translation you like. All right, so write that down. Genesis 6 through 9. Genesis 6 through 9. I'm going to bounce around in there 
and I'm going to hit some things that I feel like God needs us, wants to say specifically today. But you need to read the story. And I just so happen to have a friend uh, who is translating the Bible. And I have an unreleased version of Genesis from the Passion Translation <laughs> on my iPad. You can't have it. Sorry. He told me. He said, don't share this, but you can have it. So I'm going to read a few parts out of that because it's just really good. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I feel like taunting you a little bit like, man, and Anna Boo No, I'm kidding. I'm God's favorite. And so are you. Did you know that? <laughs> All right. So Genesis 6 starts out with some very interesting stuff. Does anyone know what the beginning of Genesis 6 is about? Anybody? I know it's Scott. Scott Smiley knows, but no cheating. He's on my team. Yeah. Listen, it begins talking about how, how when people began to populate the earth, divine beings saw women as lovely and had unholy unions with those women. Okay? These are commonly referred to as the Nephilim. Okay? And it says in Genesis 6, uh, for back then, later, there were giants on the earth who were born as a result of the unholy, unholy union of heavenly beings with the human daughters. Okay? These are, I'm just going to give you what I believe these to be. There's a lot of debate about this. These are fallen angels. Okay? These are fallen angels. They, listen, the, the result of that union, the children of that union, the giants, they were the mighty ones of old, warriors of renown. That's what it says. Listen, all your stories about Hercules and things like that, I, this is my opinion. This is where it comes from. There's legends of these giant people who are half God-like, half man, demigods. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Just seeing how weird we can get. <laughs> Verse 5, but Yahweh saw how extremely wicked humanity had become. For they imagined only evil. For all they thought about was doing evil all the time. And Yahweh was saddened, the Passion Translation says, grieved, saddened that he had made humanity. And his heart was filled with pain. When God says all the thoughts all the time, all the imaginations are evil, all the thoughts all the time, all the imaginations were evil. See, this is the deal. People read stuff like, you, you know the story, Noah and the flood waters. They, he wipes out the whole population except for one family. They read that and go, God is, is committing genocide. No, God is sovereign and saw that every imagination of man was evil, to the core evil. And not to mention, there were angels having intercourse with women and trying to interrupt the line of Christ. You understand? They were trying to break... The line of Christ that was prophesied to come in Genesis 3. They were trying to interrupt the line, the, the seed of the woman. They were trying to pervert it. So if God needs to take the whole race of humanity out and start over, God needs to take the whole list. Most prosperity preachers, which I would call myself a very prosperous preacher, not a prosperity gospel preacher, but there's only one gospel. It's the one that wants to prosper you and not to harm you, just saying. Most people in my world would not tell you, yeah, God did that. And it's an instructional truth. And it's supposed to give you hope. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> All right. So Yahweh said, verse 7, I will do away with my ruined creation. How did it get ruined? 
It's important that we take this, like, that's the truth. Man, you know. This is the person of love. Grieving over what he created. Human beings that I created. People and animals. Creeping things and flying birds. For it breaks my heart that I made them. But one man found grace in the sight of Yahweh. Noah. <laughs> Noah. <laughs> it's just fun for me. I'm having fun. Whatever. Did you know this is the first mention of grace in the Bible? The first time grace is mentioned is in the story that people defame God with. The first mention of grace, I'm going to say it again, is within the story where God wipes out all of humanity except for one family. That's the first mention of grace in the Bible. This is a grace story. That'll redefine grace for you. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So <laughs> in verse 9, I'm just going to start skipping around. It says, this is the story of Noah. He was a godly man. He had three sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Yes, that's how I say them. <laughs> and it says, injustice and violence filled the whole earth. He told Noah to build an ark. He said, build it a very specific way. And I'm going to talk through those ways that he said to build it. And he says in verse 17, I'm going to release a great flood that will destroy all life upon earth. And every breathing thing under heaven will perish. Everything on earth will die. Grace story. Grace story. But as for you, I will establish my covenant of friendship, and you will escape destruction by coming into the ark. Say the ark. You and your wife, your sons, and their wives. Bring with you into the ark every animal. You know this, male and female, two of every kind. Noah completed all these preparations and everything exactly as God commanded him. Chapter 7, the day came when Yahweh said to Noah, here we go. Here comes the flood. Come into the ark. Take seven pairs of flying birds, all kinds. Noah obeyed. Yahweh all that Yahweh had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old. This is verse 6, if you're tracking. When the flood came on earth, Noah and his wife and the sons and wives boarded the ark to escape the flood. All right? So they go in the ark. On that day, verse, I don't know, 11, the fountains of the subterranean deep cracked open and burst up from the ground. Heaven's floodgates were open, and heavy rains fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So the waters of the earth broke open, and the waters of the sky poured down, both sides. No escape. Total desolation. Are you okay with this grace story? It's instructional. Anyone feel hope rising yet? <laughs> I love it. Oh. For 40 days, verse 17, the, gulf and, or the flood engulfed the earth. The swelling waters lifted up the ark until it rose above the ground. Raging flood completely inundated the earth, but the ark floated safely, drifting upon the surface of the water until the high mountains were completely submerged beneath the rising waters. So you guys know this story, but I'm just going to uh, hit a couple more parts. And then it says, chapter 8, God's heart was moved with compassion as he remembered Noah and all the animals. God didn't forget that Noah was there. You know, he just remembered. All right, he goes, yes, here we go. Noah and all the animals, large and small, that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to sweep across the earth again, and the water subsided. All right, so 40 more days, he opened a window. He sent out a raven first. You guys remember this? And then a dove. The raven went and came back. The dove went three times, did not come back the third time. Here's one picture. You know, God's language is not English. God's language is not Hebrew. God's language is not Greek. 
God's language isn't even tongues. It's picture. God speaks in picture. Even when God speaks, he creates a picture. The panorama of existence was created when he said, let there be light. Boom. God's language is picture. So here's one picture for you that will give you hope. The raven, the first bird, is the law. The dove, the second bird, is the new covenant. The law went out first. The raven, typically black. The law of sin and death. The ministry of condemnation, 2 Corinthians calls it. Went out first. Came back. Nowhere to rest. Then... God sends out a dove, or Abraham, sorry, not Abraham, Moses. No, what the heck? Noah. <laughs> Can you tell I'm a little sleepy? Noah sends out the dove. It goes, finds nothing. That's the prophets prophesying of the new covenant. The dove goes out, finds nothing. That's the prophets who came and spoke to a hardened people, and they did not receive him. The prophetic utterances of the old testament the prophetic even david prophesying of the new covenant the prophetic words speaking of the messiah to come that's the first travel of the dove then the second time it goes out and brings something back anyone tell me olive branch you know what olive makes it makes oil oil do you know gethsemane oil press garden of the oil press oil is a picture of the holy spirit so here we get we find a broken a branch Carrying the Spirit. A branch carrying the Spirit. Now, this is going to mess with some of you, but I believe that to be John the Baptist. Because he left with the Holy Spirit and was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Branch wood is always a picture of humanity. So there's a second dove trip. And then there's a third dove trip. And it doesn't come back. I believe that dove supernaturally or spiritually, doesn't have to be physical. You guys can go with me as weird as you want here. I believe that dove went over all of history and landed on Christ the day of his baptism. Because it says the spirit descended as a dove and remained. The dove was looking for a resting place. Went out, found nothing. No people of Israel, right? The prophets, if you read the prophets, it was tough going, tough sledding for a prophet back in the old days, just saying. Nobody was listening, all right? And then the second time, it found the greatest of all the prophets. Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest of all the prophets, the greatest of the Old Testament. That's the branch with the olive. And then it did not come back to Noah. It rested upon Christ the day of baptism. That's my, that's where I'm going. That's what I'm at. That's a picture. So, yeah, it's good. It's a good word. You can just sit with that and chew on it. Okay, how much more of this? Uh, the waters receded, all this stuff, and then all the way through chapter 9 where the rainbow comes in. The rainbow, um, God says in verse 9, I will establish my loving covenant with you, your descendants, and every living creature that is with you, large animals and small birds and every living thing that came out of the ark. I will maintain my loving covenant with you. I will never again completely destroy life on earth by means of a flood. Yes, never again will a flood destroy the whole earth. When God repeats himself, it's important here is the sign for you verse 12 and future generations that my loving covenant will endure between me and you and every animal that came out of the ark i have placed my rainbow among the clouds and will be a sign of my loving covenant between me and the earth the rainbow is a sign of god's goodness and covenant to never destroy the earth that is what the rainbow is a sign of 
The rainbow is a sign of God's loving covenant with Noah. Okay? That's what the rainbow is a sign of. There's a pure version to every perversion. Instead of shouting at the perversion, let's prove the pure version. Let's show the pure version instead of getting mad at people for the perversion. Okay, I can't stick on that anyway. Yes. Okay, I have way too much to say now about this, but I'm going to give you a couple of pictures. Because I want to just, really my goal today is to set you on a new perspective, to look at these stories and find hope in them. Find Jesus in the story. Like the dove. Find Christ in the story. All right, now check this out. The ark is actually, I got a lot of this from the footnotes. Genesis, you guys are going to love Genesis from the Passion Translation. The footnotes are like (laughs) huge. I got most of this from that. It's awesome. And I had some suspicions, but Brian confirmed it. The, The ark itself is actually a beautiful picture of Christ. If you haven't got that yet, Noah went into the ark and was rescued from the waters of judgment. And likewise, when we enter into Christ, we're rescued from all judgment. Yes, the truth. Wood is actually a biblical picture for humanity. And guess this, get this, when it, I didn't read it, but it says he was supposed to seal the boat with tar. It's not the typical word, word for sealing a boat. He, God put in the Bible the word for atonement, to atone the boat. <laughs> atonement, meaning like he's the perfect atonement for our sins. The boat was atoned. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's so much in here. Sealed with tar, the blood atonement. Sealed with the blood of Christ. Sealed for the day of redemption. Uh-huh. Yes. How many of these can I talk about? All who entered the ark were safe and none perished, right? The, the dimensions are significant. I don't have time for that. Uh, the ark only had one door. One door. I am the door for the sheep, Jesus said. There's one way, one truth, one door. And it was on the door's side, if anyone wants to go there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, y'all are amazing. I don't got to preach. I just got to say the, just read stuff to you. And you're like, oh, Jesus. It's amazing. It's so easy to preach to y'all. I don't even got to work hard. Now get this. There are three, did you know there are three levels to Noah's Ark? Three levels. First, check out First Thessalonians 5, 23 if you want to later. That's the picture of a man's body, soul, and spirit, the triune person. Noah and his family lived on the third level. It's also a picture of the third heaven, first, second, and third heaven. Yeah, I don't have time for any of this, but this, I'm getting to my favorite one. I'm getting to my favorite one. Um, This is crazy. The ark, when the ark rested on the mountain, it actually rested on the seventh month of the 17th day of their their calendar. Does anyone know what happened on the seventh month of the 17th day on this seventh month, seventh day of July? I just put that together. The seventh month of the 17th day. It's July 7th in case I confused you. On the seventh month of the 17th day, the ark rested. The seventh month of the seven, and the seventeenth day is when Jesus was resurrected and seated at the most high of God. Same day of the year. Yeah. Crazy. Three days after Passover. Ah. I love it. So good. This is my favorite one, though. 
this is my favorite one. Does any, oh, there's more. I've skipped over like five. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to get to the, my favorite. Listen, the ark rested on Mount Ararat. That sounds like a funny name, Ararat. It's like a rat that can fly. I don't know, Ararat. And it means high. <laughs> That's scary, right? Maybe you'll remember it now. I don't know, Mount Ararat. It means high and holy land, high and holy place. But there's another meaning to Ararat. Are you ready for this? Oh, it's so good. I'll share it next week when we continue our series, Faith Foundations. <laughs> I'm totally joking, but I wanted that reaction. That's what I wanted, and I got it. So good. <laughs> Get this. Are you sitting down? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Ararat means the curse is reversed. The ark rested on a mountain called the curse is reversed on the same day that Christ was raised from the dead. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's awesome. Can you see these beautiful pictures that God has laced through these things? We're going to do this every week with different stories of the Old Testament. Okay. I'm going to say one more thing that just feels like, a, like off the subject, but it's not. Because I feel the Holy Ghost on it. So it's not off subject. <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew 24, the coming of the Son of Man, the last days. Now listen very carefully. Will be as in the days of Noah. That day, the great and terrible day of the Lord in Matthew 24, he said, it will be as in the days of Noah. There's a lot of implications there. I'm going to stick with one. Are you ready for this? He goes on in Matthew 24 to say two will be working in the field. One will be taken away. One will be left. Well, two will be grinding at a mill. One will be taken away. One will be left. The great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, in the story of Noah, slow your brain down for a minute here because you're going to answer too quickly and answer wrong. In the story of Noah, who was taken away and who was left behind? Slowly now. Who was taken away from the earth and who was left behind on the earth? I want to be left behind. Jesus said it will be as in the days of Noah. One will be taken, one will be left. Noah and his family were the only ones left behind on the earth. Who's going to inherit the earth? The wicked? The righteous shall inherit the earth. Just felt like messing with your end times theology at the end here. <laughs> we need to understand and sit with these stories in order to understand what God is doing now. They're foundational. It's foundational. What, do you, what does Jesus mean by that? It will be ends in the days of Noah. If we don't know the story of the days of Noah, how are we going to know what the, come on. This is so instructional. It's foundational. Amen? Is it important? Yes? Okay. Does anyone feel hope rising in their heart? You're in the ark. If you say yes to Jesus, you're in Christ. You're rescued. From, it's the great and terrible day. It's great for some and terrible for others. It's going to be great. It's, it's reward day. 
It's when you get all your medals. That's when you get rewarded for the good works on earth. All right, I don't have time for that. But Noah and the ark, God is a rescuer. God wants to rescue the righteous. God is going to rescue you when you're in Christ. And it may not look like rescue. It may look like a really long time on a boat, afloat at sea with, you know, a dove flying a few times and not finding land. But I'm telling you, the rescue of the Lord is the rescue of the Lord, and he's sovereign. He can do it however he wants to do it. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out theRestingPlaceTampa.com.